Chapter Seventeen of Tales of a Traveller by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Buckthorn, Part Five. I was not of an age or a temperament to be long depressed. There was a reaction in my system that always brought me up again at every pressure and indeed my spirits were most buoyant after a temporary prostration i settled the concerns of the estate as soon as possible realized my property which was not very considerable but which appeared a vast deal to me having a poetical eye that magnified everything and finding myself at the end of a few months free of all farther business or restraint i determined to go to london and enjoy myself why should not i I was young, animated, joyous, had plenty of funds for present pleasures, and my uncle's estate in the perspective. Let those mope at college and pore over books, thought I, who have their way to make in the world. It would be ridiculous drudgery in a youth of my expectations. Well, sir, away to London I rattled in a tandem, determined to take the town gaily. I passed through several of the villages where I had played the jack pudding a few years before and I visited the scenes of many of my adventures and follies, merely from that feeling of melancholy pleasure which we have in stepping again to the footprints of foregone existence, even when they have passed among weeds and briars. I made a circuit in the latter part of my journey, so as to take in West End and Hampstead, the scenes of my last dramatic exploit, in the battle royal of the booth. As I drove along the ridge of Hampstead Hill by Jack Straw's castle, I paused at the spot where Columbine and I had sat down so disconsolately in our ragged finery and looked dubiously upon London. I almost expected to see her again, standing on the hill's brink, like Nabal tears, mournful as Babylon in ruins. Poor Columbine, said I with a heavy sigh, thou wert a gallant, generous girl, a true woman, faithful to the distressed and ready to sacrifice thyself in the cause of worthless man i tried to whistle off the recollection of her for there was always something of self-reproach with it i drove gaily along the road enjoying the stare of hostlers and stable-boys as i managed my horses knowingly down the steep street of hampstead when just at the skirts of the village one of the traces of my leader came loose i pulled up and as the animal was restive in my servant a bungler I called for assistance to the robustious master of a snug ale house, who stood at his door with a tankard in his hand. He came readily to assist me, followed by his wife, with her bosom half open, a child in her arms, and two more at her heels. I stared for a moment as if doubting my eyes. I could not be mistaken. In the fat, beer-blown landlord of the Yale house, I recognized my old rival Harlequin and in his slattern spouse the once trim and dimpling columbine the change of my looks from youth to manhood and the change of my circumstances prevented them from recognizing me they could not suspect in the dashing young buck fashionably dressed and driving his own equipage their former comrade the painted bow with old peaked hat and long flimsy sky-blue coat my heart yearned with kindness towards columbine and I was glad to see her establishment a thriving one. As soon as the harness was adjusted, I tossed a small purse of gold into her ample bosom. 
and then pretending to give my horses a hearty cut the whip i made the lash curl with a whistling about the sleek sides of ancient harlequin the horses dashed off like lightning and i was whirled out of sight before either of the parties could get over their surprise at my liberal donations i have always considered this as one of the greatest proofs of my poetical genius it was disturbing poetical justice in perfection i now entered london en cavalier and became a blood upon town i took fashionable lodgings in the west end employed the first tailor frequented the regular lounges gambled a little lost my money good-humouredly and gained a number of fashionable good-for-nothing acquaintances had i more industry and ambition in my nature i might have worked my way to the very height of fashion as i saw many laborious gentlemen doing around me but it is a toilsome and anxious and an unhappy life there are few beings so sleepless and miserable as your cultivators of fashionable smiles i was quite content with that kind of society which forms the frontiers of fashion and may be easily taken possession of i found it a light easy productive soil i had but to go about and sow visiting cards and i reaped a whole harvest of invitations indeed my figure and address were by no means against me it was whispered too among the young ladies that i was prodigiously clever and wrote poetry and the old ladies had ascertained that i was a young gentleman of good family handsome fortune and great expectations i now was carried away by the hurry of gay life so intoxicating to a young man in which a man of poetical temperament enjoys so highly on his first tasting of it that rapid variety of sensations that whirl of brilliant objects that succession of pungent pleasures i had no time for thought i only felt i never attempted to write poetry my poetry seemed all to go off by transpiration i lived poetry it was all a poetical dream to me a mere sensualist knows nothing of the delights of a splendid metropolis he lives in a round of animal gratifications and heartless habits but to a young man of poetical feelings it is an ideal world a scene of enchantment and delusion his imagination is in perpetual excitement and gives a spiritual zest to every pleasure a season of town life somewhat sobered me of my intoxication or rather i was rendered more serious by one of my old complaints i fell in love it was with a very pretty though a very haughty fair one who had come to london under the care of an old maiden aunt to enjoy the pleasures of a winter in town and to get married there was not a doubt of her commanding a choice of lovers for she had long been the belle of a little cathedral town and one of the prebendiaries had absolutely celebrated her beauty in a copy of latin verses i paid my court to her and was favourably received both by her and her aunt nay i had a marked preference shown me over the younger son of a needy baronet and a captain of dragoons on half pay i did not absolutely take the field in form for i was determined not to be precipitate but i drove my equipage frequently through the street in which she lived and was always sure to see her at the window generally with a book in her hand i resumed my knack at rhyming and sent her a long copy of verses anonymously to be sure but she knew my handwriting they displayed however the most delightful ignorance on the subject the young lady showed them to me wondered who they could be written by and declared there was nothing in this world she loved so much as poetry 
while the maiden aunt would put her pinching spectacles on her nose and read them with blunders and sense and sound that were excruciating to an author's ears protesting there was nothing equal to them in the whole elegant extracts the fashionable season closed without my adventuring to make a declaration though i certainly had encouragement i was not perfectly sure that i had effected a lodgment in the young lady's heart and to tell the truth the aunt overdid her part and was a little too extravagant in her liking of me i knew that maiden aunts were not apt to be captivated by the mere personal merits of their niece's admirers and i wanted to ascertain how much of all this favour i owed to my driving an equipage and having great expectations i had received many hints how charming their native town was during the summer months what pleasant society they had what beautiful drives about the neighbourhood they had not therefore returned home long before i made my appearance in dashing style driving down the principal street it is an easy thing to put a little quiet cathedral town in a buzz the very next morning i was seen at prayers seated in the pew of the reigning bell all the congregation was in a flutter prebends eyed me from their stalls questions were whispered about the aisles after service who is he and what is he and the replies were as usual a young gentleman of good family and fortune and great expectations i was pleased with the peculiarities of the cathedral town where i found i was a personage of some consequence i was quite a brilliant acquisition to the young ladies of the cathedral circle who were glad to have a beau that was not in a black coat and clerical wig you must know that there was a vast distinction between the classes of society of the town as it was a place of some trade there were many wealthy inhabitants among the commercial and manufacturing classes who lived in style and gave many entertainments a thing of trade however was admitted into the cathedral circle Fuh, the thing could not be thought of the cathedral circle therefore was apt to be very select very dignified and very dull they had evening parties at which the old ladies played cards with the prebends and the young ladies sat and looked on and shifted from one chair to another about the room until it was time to go home it was difficult to get up a ball from the want of partners the cathedral circle being very deficient in dancers and on those occasions there was an occasional drafting among the dancing men of the other circle who however were generally regarded with great reserve and condescension by the gentlemen in powdered wigs several of the young ladies assured me in confidence they had often looked with a wistful eye at the gaiety of the other circle where there was such plenty of young beaux and where they all seemed to enjoy themselves so merrily but that it would be degradation to think of descending from their sphere i admired the degree of old-fashioned ceremony and superannuated courtesy that prevailed in this little place the bowings and curtsyings that would take place about the cathedral porch after morning service where knots of old gentlemen and ladies would collect together to ask after each other's health and settle the card party for the evening the little presents of fruits and delicacies and the thousand petty messages that would pass from house to house for in a tranquil community like this living entirely at ease and having little to do little duties and little civilities and little amusements fill up the day i have smiled as i looked from my window on a quiet street near the cathedral in the middle of a warm summer day to see a corpulent powdered footman in rich livery carrying a small tart on a large silver salver 
a dainty tidbit sent no doubt by some worthy old dowager to top off the dinner of her favorite prebend nothing could be more delectable also than the breaking up of one of their evening card parties such shaking of hands such mobbing up in cloaks and tippets there were two or three old sedan chairs that did the duty of the whole place though the greater part made their exit in clogs and pattens with a footman or waiting maid carrying a lantern in advance and at a certain hour of the night the clank of pattens and the gleam of those jack-lanterns here and there about the quiet little town gave notice that the cathedral card party had dissolved and the luminaries were severally seeking their homes to such a community therefore or at least to the female part of it the accession of a gay dashing young beau was a matter of some importance the old ladies eyed me with complacency through their spectacles and the young ladies pronounced me divine everybody received me favorably excepting the gentleman who had written the latin verses on the bell not that he was jealous of my success with the lady for he had no pretensions to her but he heard my verses praised wherever he went and he could not endure a rival with the muse End of chapter 17 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida